0: Father, we thank you for bringing us together here to hear from your word. It's 2,000 years old. But you say that those that read this or hear this are blessed if we keep it. If we not only hear it and read it, but if we apply it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to apply it that you would speak to us to help us to know what that means to each one of us individually and, and here as a church. How do you want us to apply this? Because these are the days that are written of in these words, help us, Lord, to live the way that you would have us to live. Help us, Lord, to glean from your word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to reemphasize that we're approaching this study looking at the literal interpretation of the text. And the reason why I say that is because many churches and many teachers do not. They look at this from an allegoric perspective, from a historic perspective, as if it took place in the past. But this is important for us to recognize because if we don't recognize the future context of what we're studying then it's almost meaningless. It it almost loses all of its value for us. And so the next few weeks, we're going to be going over the letter to the churches. So there are seven churches that are addressed, and we're going to be going over those. And remember, each church got the whole letter it wasn't just individual letters that went to each church they got the whole thing to each church and then each one of them got to read about their church and then got to read about the other ones too you know can you imagine them saying how long does it take us to get to that church i want to be over there you know um and and that's the problem, even in our modern day, in our current day, where people church hop until they find the church that makes them comfortable or has the best donuts, <laughs> and they look for something in that church that's going to connect them. I hope. That you're not here to connect with the building, with the, even with the brothers and sisters in Christ. No matter where you go, you're gonna find brothers and sisters in Christ and all the other churches too. But I really hope and pray that you're here to hear from the Lord, because it's the teaching of His Word. That is where the power is. It's That is what changes people's lives. It, it's not the rest of the stuff. I love having events, by the way. I, I love all the events we have coming up where we get to fellowship and, and eat good food and just have a good time together. I love all of that. But that's not the priority. The priority is that we're growing spiritually Individually and collectively, we're growing together as a body of Christ. That's where the richness is. That's where the blessing is. So um, I'm glad that you're all here together. I'm glad we're doing this study because it's just going to show us how we, as a church, fit in to the universal church. How we have an actual impact not only in the world around us, but in the other churches. So we opened last week with John's instruction and greeting to the seven churches. And these were seven literal churches that were there. These are named. Oh, they've been all identified in that archaeologists found where these churches were. So they were actual, real churches. And it's interesting, seven is the number of completion and so this implies, see, and I'm not leaving the literal context of the text when I say that this also implies that it applies to the whole church. Because we can see how every church has similarities as we go through those seven letters. We will see how every church has similarities to those churches that we're going to be reading about. Hopefully where the similar side is on the positive things that we read and not the negative things that we read during those uh, letters. I believe Jesus was addressing those churches because he knew, you have to understand, there were other churches in that area. He called out seven. And he addressed seven. I believe that was because he wanted to show the disparity between the churches, the differences between the churches, the contrast, but also he wanted to show the big picture. We can pick seven. We have more than seven churches in this town. We can look and say, okay, where do we fit in this picture? How do we fit in this picture? And, you know, what can we do to become a better church? Not for our own sake, not for church growth, not for anything, but to be a better church for Jesus Christ. Because all of us are ambassadors for him. And so that's the way we should be. So I don't believe Jesus would address only seven churches, knowing that there were thousands more to come. He already knew how many more churches there were going to be. So I don't think he just addressed these seven and said, well, I'm just talking to them. No, he's talking to the church. And all of us are part of the church. As a modern day Christian church, we should compare ourselves not to other churches, but to the letters that he wrote, so that we can see if Jesus wrote those letters, do you think that's important? You know what's interesting is that Paul wrote seven letters too, to seven churches. And he overlapped with Jesus on Ephesus. But there were seven letters to seven churches. And they were different churches. They had different issues. Paul was addressing specific issues in those churches. He wrote in a completely different way. But here's the thing. His seven letters went to all the churches. Because all of them needed to hear it. Just like we all need to hear what Jesus is going to say in the opening, uh, well, in the two chapters that have the seven letters in them. So now that the introduction's open, John is now gonna begin to share the visions that he had on the island of Patmos. Patmos is uh, just this island that was, it was uh, 45 miles from Ephesus. Ephesus is where John was when he was uh, banished to Patmos and it 's about forty five miles from there, but it 's off the coast it 's not forty five miles off the coast it 's closer to the coast, but it 's kind of in the middle of nowhere it 's not close to any major um, city, even they have uh, um, ferries that run from Athens out to Patmos even today, but it 's eight hours on the ferry to get to Patmos and so who wants to take an eight-hour ferry to go see a prison? You know, unless you're really interested in staying there. Actually, it's a nice place now. They fixed it up. There's about 3,000 people that live on Patmos full-time, but it's just a tourist uh, area now with some nice beaches and stuff like that. Not, not a very big island. It's more like just a big rock uh, with some beaches. So... John is going to tell us more about that. Today's message is titled, I Saw Jesus. We continue our study through the book of Revelation with chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up in verse 9. And we read, I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation, and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so here he is opening up this address, addressing Christians. He's saying we're brothers, but we're also companions. And, and uh, there are people that we know that we would consider friends, co-workers, acquaintances. And when you have someone that is doing something similar to what you're doing, you would consider them a companion in that effort, whatever it is. Uh, You've heard the term traveling companions. When I was drilling in Texas... I worked with a group of guys. We would be on the rig together, working together. And you have to work together because one guy can't drill by himself. It takes a team. But then when the drill is drilling, you're sitting in the, in the cabin, you know, playing cards and drinking coffee and and so on and so forth. We built relationships. We were companions. But when we were out there you know, pulling the pipe out, and putting a new bit in and putting it. That's arduous work. It was, I was 19. I could do it. You know, right now I have a hard time watching people work like that. So when you, you do that, and when you work together doing stuff like that, you build a camaraderie. Those are companions. Those were more than just friends and acquaintances. Those were companions. And so that's what John is saying. Hey, We are brothers, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, but we're also companions in the tribulation. What? See, they weren't there on the island with him. You know, he had gone through so much. Domitian, the the Caesar that was in control, that actually banished him to the island, banished him because here he was, he was a Jesus freak. And he wouldn't obey Domitian. So they were told, everyone was told in the Roman kingdom that they had to take uh, a pinch of whatever it was, I forget, and they had to sprinkle it over the fire. And in doing that, it was a tribute to the Caesar. And you had to say Caesar is God. John wouldn't do that. That's why John's on Patmos. And so he went through tribulation to get there. They say that he was dunked in oil, boiling oil, to try to kill him. And it didn't work. And so he was the first greaser. Um, and and they, so they pulled him out and ended up sending him to Patmos. And that's where he spent the time there. We know that he was eventually released in 96 AD because Domitian died. And then he was released and he went back to Ephesus and was serving there in Ephesus. So the Bible doesn't record uh, the deaths of all of the apostles. We know about James. Uh, That was uh, one of the apostles that we got... A clue of, but we don't know except for extra biblical writings about how they died. And we know pretty much how they all died, but it wasn't in the Bible. It wasn't recorded uh, of how they died except uh, for James. So uh, John identifies that he was on this island. And so you can go there to identify it's still there. So he was there but notice in verse 9 it says was he was on the island of patmos that means he's not writing this from patmos probably the the prison that he was in didn't they didn't really have paper and and quills back then for him to write So when he came back to Ephesus, that's when all of this was written. How do you do that? How do you get all of the detail? He was old. He was an old guy. And how did he get all of that detail and all that information to be able to write this book? The same way that all of the biblical authors got their information through the Holy Spirit. That's the only way that it could have been put together. I tell you that because when we read the Word of God, we should recognize it as the Word of God. We should never assume that you could, the, the author, Paul and, and John and, and Matthew, Luke, whoever wrote, they didn't just, Right from the hip, you'd be all over the place. There'd be all kinds of stuff in there that wouldn't make sense, but the Bible is so cohesive. It's so orderly and organized. And it all glorifies Jesus Christ. It all points out, I'm talking from Genesis on. They didn't know his name in the Old Testament, but they knew who he was. And so when we look at that, we really have to understand, is God a God of order? Is he able to make sure that the word that we're reading today is accurate? He's God. He created the whole world earth he created all of us in here we all came from him but he didn't have to try to figure this out on his own he wasn't waiting for us to get it you know he he wasn't first of all we never would have so He put all of the order, all of the structure in place so that we could understand and we can trust it. Without the prophecy in the Bible, if we took out the 28% of the Bible that's prophecy, we wouldn't be able to trust the Bible because we wouldn't have anything to base our trust on. But because of the fact that we have all of this prophecy, we can fully trust that God has a plan. He put it all together. And now we can go to the plan, understand what the plan is, but also apply all of the things that the authors wrote about to our own lives and be in the center of God's will. The second way that we know this to be true is through the power of the Holy Spirit living within each one of us. If we didn't have the Holy Spirit living within us, we wouldn't even want to follow the Word of God. It's because of him and because of what he has done that even draws us into this relationship that we have with God. And so John wants us to get to that point So that we trust what he's writing. But also we know that it's not only true, but it applies to each of us. And so I think that's where we are today. For each of us, we have to decide in our own heart, is that what I believe? Do I believe this word is, if you don't believe this is from God, and this is accurate, then... Why are you here? I'm not asking you to leave. But I'm just saying that there's no point to be in church unless you're fully sure that what you're hearing is from God and it's going to help you tomorrow and the next day and a year from now. And whatever God wants to do, you can trust and what he's doing, and you can apply it to your own life. If you don't believe this word, then might as well, never mind, I'm not going to mention his name, but um, there are plenty of other people out there that you can watch that will just make you feel good. And that's not what we're here for. We're here to hear the truth. So John is now giving us the truth. Listen to what he has to say. Verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. As of. This is one of those indications that he didn't hear a trumpet. Louis Armstrong was not back there playing when the saints come marching in. He, it isn't a trumpet. He's hearing a voice as of a trumpet. Now, why would he use that um, picture? Because when you hear a trumpet blast, you don't hear soft trumpets. Uh, you can't blow a soft trumpet because then it just sounds like... And, and what good is that? You know, When you hear a trumpet, it's loud. And so that's what he's saying. It's a voice that was loud. It came through loudly saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see right in a book. Now, this is Jesus talking to John. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches so that one book will go to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, just in case, John, you don't know which seven churches I want you to send it to, here, I'll tell you who they are. And they are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And there he lays it out. Here are the seven churches. Now, it's going to go to more than just those seven churches. There were other churches in the area. They're going to take this letter, and they're going to send it to every church. It's going everywhere. The Romans are going to read this. The Corinthians are going to read this. The Thessalonians are going to read this. Everyone is going to get this letter, but they're written to these seven churches because they have a special message for each of those seven churches that are going to be... Now, here's the thing. If the Romans read this, does that mean it doesn't apply to them? You see, that's not true. It applies to everyone that can fit into the profile that Jesus is identifying in these seven churches. So you get to figure that one out on your own. Don't come to me, Pastor, which one of these churches am I? Because first of all, I'm not going to tell you, but second of all, um, you know. Because the persona the life that you live in the church is different than the life that you live in the world. It's not supposed to be, but it is. You act nicer in church, don't you? <laughs> if you don't, then um, then we got some problems. Uh, but um, in the world... We tend to be ourselves. And in church, we tend to be who we want to be, who we are striving to be. And we should be that same person out in the world, too. It's not easy because the people I'm interacting with out in the world aren't like you people. I love you guys, you're all nice. At least because I'm the pastor and you have no choice. You have to be nice to the pastor, right? But, you know, out in the world, people don't know that I'm a pastor. If they did, they'd probably throw things at me. And we need to act the same out there as we do here. It's interesting to see um, when you're watching. Sporting events, the baseball game, guy hits a home run, and it's like, you know, they're pointing, you know? And so you're saying, oh, good, a believer, you know, someone that knows the power comes from God. Some of those guys are pointing because their mom is up in heaven, and they're pointing, this is real, because they're just saying, hey, mom, see, I did that for you, you know, and a lot of those guys, they're just, they're pointing up because, what are you going to do, point down? You know, I, you don't want to do that. You know, so uh, they they point up. So, it, it, you know, everybody has a different perspective of who Jesus is. And so we, since we know the true Jesus, since he lives in our lives and our hearts, we uh, can share the real Jesus, the true Jesus, with people without saying his name. We just have to act like him, love like him, be like him. There, there are churches out there that say, that's all you need to do to be saved is to act like Jesus. See, acting is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. I don't want you to act like that. I want you to be like that. Don't don't act like a Christian. Be a Christian. Love like Jesus. Because you love like Jesus. But if you're just showing people that you're acting like you love them for Jesus, well, that's lame. Because eventually it'll come out. Eventually it'll reveal itself. So... John is now writing about the seven churches. He's starting the letter. Jesus is really the one writing this. He's the one doing all of this. But John is uh, the one putting it to paper. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. That's Jesus saying he's God. When people say Jesus never called himself God, there it is again. He's done it multiple times. But here he is doing it plain and clear. I am the Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. He clearly states who he is. When the Pharisees asked him, you know, who, who you are. And he said, I am. They knew what he meant. That's why they picked up stones to kill him. Because they knew He was saying he was God. And so Jesus reveals once again that he is God. The vision begins in verse 12, where it says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one, like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band his head and hair uh, and hair were white like wool as white as snow and his eyes like the flame of fire and his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. So here he gives us a picture of uh, what Jesus looks like. But the first thing he does is he look turns around and sees lampstands. Lampstands are not candlesticks, by the way. Lampstands are a stand that holds a lamp. That's why they're called lampstands. So just just wanted to clarify. Lampstands are not like a menorah either. A menorah has seven candlesticks okay, stands, you know, and then you put candlesticks. It's not a menorah. It's one lampstand that holds a lamp. But he didn't say he saw seven lamps on a lampstand. He said he saw seven lampstands and seven stars in the hand of the Son of Man. So um, that's exciting. Uh, It's different. Now, you have to remember... John spent years with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. But he didn't say it was Jesus. Because he's seeing Jesus in his perfection. See, he saw Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, he saw that Jesus. Now he's seeing the perfected Jesus. Daniel also writes about um, the ancient of days and what he looks like with uh, the, the white hair and, and just this picture of God. That's how come whenever you see a picture of God, he has white hair, just flowing white hair and, and stuff. That's the picture of God. It's... Um, I don't think it's an accurate picture. Because God doesn't have a body. He's a spirit. Jesus is the embodiment of God. And so that's something completely different. But it's not because he got old in heaven and that's how come he has gray hair, white hair. Uh, It's just who he is. He's in his completed body, his perfected body. The garment that he has resembles uh, the garment that the Lord commanded Moses to make for Aaron. This long robe that was made for Aaron. And then they had an ephod. They had um, this garment that they had to wear. In Exodus 39.2 it says, he made the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen, and beat the gold into thin sheets and cut it into threads. Wow, this is intense. To work it in with the blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen into artistic designs. So that's what the Old Testament priests would wear. But see, Jesus didn't have all of the blue and and all of the other colors in there because he was the godly priest, the perfect priest. He was the priest, the holy priest. And that's someone that doesn't exist as an earthly being. Only Jesus fills that role. He's the only one that can make that claim. He's a, it's the sign of royalty as a priest and as a king. And when John gives us uh, more details about that and we get a picture of what he looks like, he says that he's like the sun shining, like like because if he were the sun shining John would be melted you can't be that close to the sun without melting right but he was like so when you look at the sun you know how you look and it's really really bright when at first in the morning you could look at it when it first comes up but after it gets up there and it's in the sky it's just bright and it hurts your eyes uh, to stare well I think John used that as an example because John's never seen something that bright before. John's never seen brightness like he's seeing. So he could only compare it to the one thing that he's seen that is bright. The brightest thing that there is. The sun. And so he compared it to that and said it was like the shining of the sun and there, and but he was able to give us details, his hair, his eyes, the brass for the feet, you know all of this, he gave details, so it's not like bright as the sun where you have to turn your head away and you can't see. he could see it, it was that bright, and he could still see and make out the details of what. I don't understand that. Do you? Have you ever seen Jesus looking like that? Just in case I'm asking. No? All right, no hands. Just for you online. There, no one raised their hand. And, and so that's because we're not going to see him like that until we're there. John got a glimpse of the future in seeing who Jesus is. And so... That's an awesome thing. Daniel chapter 10 also records an incident. See, John fell right down. I mean, he was like, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives, was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys to Hades and of death. So Jesus gave him everything that he needs to know. But as soon as he saw, he fell face down. And Daniel did too when he saw Jesus. He fell face down in the dirt. Daniel uh, saw a Christophany, a pre Uh, appearance of Christ before he was born because Daniel was alive before Jesus was born but he saw who Jesus was then and he fell on his face the apostles and disciples were aware they were very used to Jesus saying these words do not be afraid Jesus used to say it all the time. Pop up in the upper room, doors locked, windows locked, all of a sudden Jesus, and he would say, fear not, fear not, you guys, you're afraid of everything. You know, but fear not, it's me. It's a, Jews have this proclivity for being afraid of everything because they're afraid of evil spirits. And so, they are aware that there are evil spirits they wouldn't even they didn't like traveling on ships going out to the ocean you know when they would go out on these excursions across the aegean sea and all they wouldn't they didn't want to do that because you know they would pay other people to go for them and take the ships and bring the merchandise back and forth because they didn't like to see there were evil spirits out there in the sea. So they were kind of um, uh, afraid. They were afraidy cats. Jesus wants us to know who he is. He's God. And we're not supposed to be afraid because he is God. We shouldn't be afraid. In Hebrews 10 31 we read, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That's not written to us. See, we aren't falling into the hands of the living God in that regard because that's meant for unsaved people. They are the ones that should be afraid when they fall into his hands. But we are already in his hands. We're in the palm of his hand. We're we're safe. We're secure in his hand. And no one can pluck us from his hands. Have you ever pictured that? He's got some huge hands. And we can't be taken out of his hand. And we're not going to fall out of his hand. You know? Oh, some of us like to get to the edge of the pinky. You know? But we're not going to do it because he keeps us secure. He keeps us safe. And we're secured until he comes and takes us home. Everything he says to John indicates that he is fully God and he's in full control. Notice he has the keys to Hades and death. He has the keys not to lock us out but to lock them in. You see, we have full reign of heaven. There are no keys to where we go. It's all open to us. But Hades, it's, they're locked in. They're not coming out forever. That's a sad, sad statement when you think about that. People think we are a cult because we believe in things like the rapture, the second coming of Christ, the tribulation, the antichrist. They believe that we are out of our minds, that we're a cult, that we're just some unusual religious sect that believes stuff that isn't true. That's because they don't believe the Bible is the word of God. And so if they don't believe that, then there's plenty of other stuff to believe. There's all kinds of things to believe. We can believe Hamas is on a righteous mission of what they're doing because you know they're staying true to what they believe. As long as they stay true to what they believe, then it's okay. Then we're good. Or, you know, the Buddhists or the Hindus or whoever, as long as they believe what they believe and they stay true to it, you know, all roads lead to God. That's true. All roads do lead to God. Except only one road leads to eternal life with God. The rest of the roads lead to judgment with God because they didn't go to God in love as a child of God. They went to God as God. If anyone believes in anything other than Jesus Christ being the only way to heaven, the only way to God, the only intercessor between us and God, if we believe anything else, then basically we're making ourselves God. It doesn't matter what you say, God, I believe this. So, for those of you online that haven't quite figured that out yet, you know, that are just looking for answers, I'm not being trite about this. Um, This is the answer. And anything else that's out there is a distraction from the answer. It's meant to take us away from the truth, from the answer. And so as we go into this study, we're going to see, in the next few weeks, we're going to see the seven letters written to the seven churches, and we're going to understand from Jesus himself how we as a church are interacting with him, living our lives here, but interacting with him based on how we interact with the world He's going to reveal that in his writing. But then we get to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, we begin the rest of the story. The church age ends in chapter 4. And the tribulation period begins. And it's not pretty. But, We aren't going to be here for it. And I believe that wholeheartedly because we're told that he's going to save us from the wrath to come. We're going to see that as we go through these scriptures. The most important thing for us to recognize is not, hey, we're exempt. You know, we're we're. We're saved. woohoo! It's the fact that he wants to use us to reach others, to let them know. Remember something. The road to heaven is narrow. Uh, the road everywhere else is an expressway. It's huge. It's wide. That leads to destruction. And while we may be on the road to the right place and they're all on the road to the wrong place, it doesn't mean we can't grab someone and bring them in so that they can get on the right road. And I believe that the time is such where we need to do that. It's... it's so, here, as we're talking, this is one of those times where we sound like we are exclusive, like we were a cult, or where. That's not what the Bible tells me. What the Bible tells me is that we have the answers and the truth, and we need to share it with everyone, and it's open to anyone who wants to believe. The word of God is open to everyone, no matter where they are, what they've done, who they done it to. It doesn't matter. They can be saved. And so, isn't that the most important thing? Is that we live like that, that we act like that write these things which you have seen and the things which are the things which will take place uh, uh, the things you have seen which are and the things that will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands are the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. And so First of all, he says, there are three time periods. The things that you have seen, which are in the past. The things which are. That's what we're going to be covering in the letters to the seven churches. And then the things which will take place after this. That's from chapter 4 to chapter 22. And so we're going to be covering all of this. When he says the mystery of the seven stars, or the seven stars of the angels, there's a lot of discrepancy about what angels means because angels could mean a messenger. Well, it does mean messenger. But they don't know if it means a messenger as in an angel from heaven or a messenger as in a pastor standing before a flock and teaching. They don't know. You know what? It doesn't matter. It's messenger. It's someone that is delivering the message of God. So for me, it doesn't really matter either way what that actually means. But the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so interestingly, stars shine, right? And so you have a lampstand that doesn't shine. You don't put a lampstand up and say, oh, that's so pretty, Uh, It's shining, it's lighting up the room. The lampstand doesn't light up the room, but the star would. And so each lampstand, each church has its own star to illuminate. And we, as the body of Christ, are the illumination for the world. We're the ones lighting up the world. So you guys are messengers too, by the way. And as we deliver the message... It doesn't have to be with words. The message can be delivered in how we act, in what we do with our own lives, in what other people see about us. That's where the message is delivered. And so all we have to do is live the way that we're given this example, the example of Jesus Christ, the example of even John. We close today considering how Jesus is communicating to us through this. He's reassuring us that he's God, first of all. He wants us to know that he's God, and that should be reassuring for us. He's also reminding us that we're all instruments in the palm of his hand. We're all stars in the palm of his hand, right? And he wants to use us to go out there into the world. John got a glimpse. And he was overwhelmed by who Jesus was. We can also say, I saw Jesus, when we relate to others and say, I saw Jesus in my life. I see him in my life every day. I talked to him just this morning. I talked to him before church. I'm going to talk to him when I get home. And when we live like that, when we have that attitude, people see it. People recognize there's something different and they want to know. As we open the the churches next week, we're going to see characteristics of the different churches and we'll see good and we'll see bad. But the good news is we can glean from the good and we can decide not to follow the bad. We make the choice. Sometimes constructive criticism from God is hard to hear. But uh, it's good for us to hear it. And then when we apply it, we find ourselves in the center of his will. Amen.